Thank you, Ina. When I, when I called Ina the other night and told her the passage, I told her to take a good long drink of water before she came up to read, because I knew it was going to be a long passage. And I have a feeling that some of you are already feeling nervous because you see how long this passage is, and you think, oh my, is the message going to be in proportion to the length of the passage? Yep. <laughs> But I, I think it's important to get an overview of this entire encounter that Moses has with God. And it amazes me how relevant the Bible is to our lives here today. And I think that as we walk through this this morning, every one of you is going to see yourself at some point, or maybe at many points along the way. I know that as I've been preparing, I have seen myself again and again in this encounter that Moses has with God. Before we begin, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this is your word, your word to your people, your word in which you reveal yourself, and in which you show us ourselves. And now we pray, Lord. Pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let me warn you right away, you might want to keep your Bible out handy so that you can see it and, and refer to it, um, because we're going to be walking through this passage, and I think it might be helpful. Also, you have to remember that I am a teacher, and I know I have teachers out there, and I have students out there. Teachers like to ask questions, and teachers like to have responses to those questions. So don't be surprised if I ask along the way, and I'm going to expect a response. So this is part of my way of helping you keep engaged. Wayne and I were already talking about how hard it is to stay awake sometimes on a Sunday morning. I said, well, it's easy for me because I'm up front. But when you're sitting out where you are, it can get a little, get a little foggy sometimes. So let's begin and what we want to do first, just briefly, is we want to get a picture of who is this God that Moses is encountering, really, for the very first time. We have to keep that in mind, that Moses is really just now coming, coming into God's presence for the first time ever. And as we do that, let's look through verses 1 through 9, where we get an idea of who this God is. So, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and let's just actually look at verse 4 together. Verse 4 says, When the Lord saw that he, had, he, Moses, had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. So my first question here is, who initiates this encounter? God does, sure. So God is the one who initiates this encounter. And one thing we see right off about God is, this is a God who initiates relationship with people. And then, he actually looks to people to respond to him. God is the initiator, and we are the responder. <coughs> this is something we'll see throughout Scripture. Every time that God encounters people, he initiates and people respond. So this is first. The next part, let's look at verses 5 through 6. In verses 5 through 6, let me read that for us. God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So here, God reveals himself a little more fully. He tells him he's the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And then what is Moses' response? What does Moses do? He hides his face. He hides his face because he is afraid to look at God. So what we find here is that God is a God who is almighty, powerful. He is eternal. And he is deserving of fear, of reverential fear, a fear that comes out of reverence for who he is, his position. So that's two things. Now thirdly, what do we find out about God? If we look at verses 7 through 9, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So here we find out something else about God. What kind of God is this? Any responses? Yes, compassionate. What else do we see about God? He's caring. He's he saved us. Very good. He's compassionate. He's caring. And he does on our behalf what we cannot do for ourselves. His compassion and his love for us moves him to the extent that he acts on our behalf. So this is the God we're looking at. So we have a God who is powerful, who is eternal, who is almighty, and deserving of reverential fear. However, this is a God who still hears us and cares about us, even to the extent that he acts on our behalf. Now this is the God that Moses is dealing with in this encounter that he's having for the very first time. So now let's turn our attention to kind of the heart of this encounter, the heart of this passage. And as we do so, we already see that God has revealed his plan to Moses. He's already said, I'm going to go and I'm going to take my people out of the slavery and bondage that they are encountering in Egypt, and I'm going to give them a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So this is what I'm going to do. And he has one very simple three-word command for Moses. He says, so now, go. Go, go. It's so matter-of-fact. It's not a yelling or a screaming or anything like what we might do with our kids. It's just a very simple, I'm the God of the universe, and you will obey me. Isn't that the kind of attitude that God should have when he tells us to do something? Just matter of fact, expecting us to respond. How many parents do we have here today? I know there's lots and lots and lots. How many kids do we have here today? Okay, that's everybody. All right. So all of us have had that kind of experience, right? 
where either as a parent, we tell our kids to do something and we expect immediate, unquestioning obedience. That's our, that's our ideal, right? Now, be, be, be nice. I see people looking at their kids. <laughs> that's what we expect. Do we always get that? No, probably not. But that really is what we would like to have. And let's be honest, we're, we're much different from God. We hope that our power, our authority, our life experience might get our kids to say, oh yeah, mom's got a good idea there. This is the God of the universe speaking to Moses. And so what kind of response do we expect from Moses? Obedience. But what do we get? We get what we often have from our children, which is questions. Why? Why should I do that? Really? Okay. We get the same thing from Moses here. And Moses' first question is, who am I? Now here, Moses is not saying, who am I? He doesn't have an identity crisis. He, he hasn't forgotten his name. He's saying, who am I? Who am I? I'm nobody, is what he's saying. I'm no one. In comparison to Pharaoh, the great king of one of the greatest, most powerful nations in the world, who am I? I'm nobody. Well, we can look at that at first and we say, wow, Moses is so humble. What great humility. And it's true, in Numbers we're told that Moses is the humblest of all men on earth. Now, it kind of, it kind of gets strange because Moses was the one who wrote that about himself. And then, I'm not sure what it means when you say you're the humblest person on earth. But I'll let you deal with that. Um, but yeah, we say, oh, he's so humble. And so we think, well, that's not too bad. But then, if we look a little more closely at what Moses is saying, isn't he really directing his attention to himself and his own inadequacies rather than God's sufficiency? saying, who am I? I'm nobody. God's saying, no, 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 no. You're looking in the wrong place. So here, this is the kind of trap that we often fall into ourselves. Don't we often look at ourselves in a situation and say, oh, I can't do it. I'm nobody. Or, sometimes we do it the other way. We say, hey, God, I've got this. Just like Wayne's talking about. Hey, Dad, I've got this. Don't worry about it. We can go one way or another, but in both situations, what are we looking? We're looking at ourselves. We're looking at our own ability or our own inability rather than looking at God. And that's exactly what Moses is doing here. But how does God respond to Moses' question? Now, if it were us, often we might respond with encouragement, which is a good thing in the right place. But God responds by saying to Moses, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. So what he's doing here is instead of saying, oh, look, Moses, you can do this. Don't worry about it. Look, Moses, I put you in Pharaoh's court when you were young so you could learn the culture, you could learn the language, you know the ins and outs of the political system. You can do this. Why doesn't God do that? No. He doesn't encourage him with this false sense of self-esteem, but instead he says, it doesn't matter who you are. It does not matter one bit who you are. What matters is who I am. So here, 
God has to get Moses' attention back on himself, says, I will be with you. And then he says, basically, I promise you my presence. God promises Moses his presence to go along with him. Now, Moses, still not quite there because he asks another question. And he says, well, okay, now, who are you? What's your name? So, first he asks, who am I? Now he's asking God, well, who are you? Yes, I know that you're, you're a great and powerful God, but really, who are you? And, and God knows that Moses is looking for more just than his name here. Yes, he gives his name. I am. I am the eternal, pre-existent one. The one who always was and always will be. But he knows that Moses needs more than just a name. That Moses is looking for assurance. He's looking for credentials from God. Saying, how do I know that you're going along with me is even a good thing. And so God goes ahead and lays out for Moses in great detail everything that he's going to do on his behalf. Even down to the last detail of miraculous signs and the fact that when they leave Egypt, they're basically going to passively plunder the Egyptians by just asking, do you have anything you could give me? And they're going to give him silver and gold and clothes. He gives him all of these details to assure him of the power that's connected with his name. So here, God promises Moses his power, the power of his name, the power that's represented with his name. So maybe now Moses is satisfied, he'll say okay, but no, not quite there yet. His next question, what if they don't believe me? What if they say the Lord did not appear to you? Now let's look a little more closely at this question. Where, what is Moses really asking? Isn't he really saying, what if I fail? What if they reject me? What if they reject me? He's more concerned about his personal reputation and maybe getting ridiculed than he is really about who God is and what God is able to do. But God is so patient. He gently brings Moses' attention back to himself like a slow student. He says, okay, look at me. And he says, Moses, what do you got in your hand? And what does Moses have in his hand? It's a staff. It's an ordinary staff that he uses every day to work with the sheep. Nothing special at all. And that's exactly what God wants him to see. God wants him to see that there's nothing special about this staff, but that he's going to invest his power and authority in such a way that Moses can do miraculous things that he himself could never do. And Moses knows better than anyone else that this staff is nothing special, nothing unusual. So again, he's drawing his attention back to himself, to God, and saying, don't worry about that. I will equip you. I will provide for you. So here, God is giving Moses his provision for anything he needs to do exactly what he's called him to do. Now surely, 
God has already stepped up. He says, I'll give you my presence. I'll give you the power, the power of my name. And I'm going to give you provision. I'll provide for anything that you need along the way to make this a successful mission. And Moses, he's not quite there yet. And at this point, don't you think that when you're making another objection to the God of the universe that you start to get a little bit kind of squeamish? And I can just see Moses curling up inside of himself with, with shame because this next thing he's going to say really touches on his identity and who he is. Because Moses says to God, you know, I, I've never really been eloquent. And he's stammering, and he's stuttering, and he says, I'm slow, I'm slow of tongue, I'm slow of speech. So where is Moses' attention again? It's back on himself. It's back on himself. And at this point, he's again looking at his own inadequacies rather than God's sufficiency. And what else is he doing here? He's basically saying, God, you cannot overcome my limitations and my weaknesses. You are limited and you are hindered by what I am or am not able to do. And God says no. His response this time, what does God say? He says, who, who made your mouth? Don't you understand that I'm the creator if I can make your mouth, I can put words in your mouth. I can make your mouth function properly. Don't you see that? And here, what he's basically saying is that my purpose is much bigger than your purpose. Why do you think I called you? I called you because I have a purpose in this. And he reveals to, God, to Moses what that purpose is. That his purpose is much bigger He's basically saying, my power is perfected in your weakness. And this makes me think of the passage in 1 Corinthians, which is so similar. See if you don't hear God speaking to Moses in this passage that Paul writes. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. God's calling Moses. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, he is our righteousness. He is our holiness. And he is our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So God promises his purpose to Moses. I have a purpose in this, Moses, and it's much bigger and greater than you. It's much beyond that. It's about giving me glory and my glory being above all else. So God promises his, pro his purpose. So we see this pattern, and finally, finally, Moses just breaks down completely. He's done. He's given God every excuse he could possibly come up with, and he's run out of excuses, and he finally just, I believe, with tears running down his face, says, God, please, please send someone else. 
please to send someone else. I can't do it. I can't do it. You got the wrong person. He couldn't take it anymore. And neither could God. What do we learn about God here? What is God? What's his response? He's angry. His anger burned against Moses. Can you imagine God's anger burning against you? Now, God's lasted a lot longer than I ever would have, a lot longer than any of us would have. And we have to be careful, of course, about making comparisons between us and God. Because God's anger here is a righteous anger. It is a righteous anger. And is he angry at Moses because Moses doesn't have enough self-confidence? He's angry at Moses. And I don't know if he's angry at Moses. He's just angry because Moses doesn't have confidence in God. He's trying to put confidence in himself, and he's not able to do that. But he doesn't turn and put confidence in God. Has Moses judged himself unworthy and incapable? Or wouldn't it be more accurate to say that Moses has judged God as unworthy of his trust and incapable of doing what he's promised to do? And really, isn't that the root of sin? Isn't it at the root of every sin that we commit, the fact that we say, no, God, you don't know what's best. I don't trust you. I don't have no confidence in you. You're not capable of doing what you're telling me you're going to do. So I'll tell you what, I've got a better plan. Let's just do this. So at this point, God still shows his patience. Yes, he's angry. But he knows Moses, and he knows that even though he's promised Moses, I'm going to give you my presence, Moses, I'm going to go with you, that Moses needs a flesh and blood person to come alongside him that he can see and he can touch and he can, he can talk with. And so he says, okay, I'll tell you what, you can take Aaron with you. You take your brother Aaron, and I'll work through, through you and through him, and we'll get this thing done. So at this point, God gives and promises his people. Just like for us, and just like Wayne was talking about today, he promises people to come alongside us, the body of Christ, to come alongside and encourage us, to support us, to help us, to be that flesh and blood presence with us. You know, and a neat thing about that is God sees that, and he, he doesn't give any one person every gift, does he? As we have this worship service today, think about how many people are involved with the children's message, with the music, with, with even organizing and printing bulletins and getting everything taken care of. No one person could or should do that. He calls us as a people. So at this point, let's go back to the beginning. Remember that one simple matter-of-fact command that God gave to Moses? What was it? Three words. So now, go. That's where we are today. So now, go. What is God's go command for us today? 
There are so many of these kinds of commands that God gives throughout Scripture. He tells Peter to go to the, to the centurion and to share with him. He tells, he tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Some people obey. Some people don't. But for us today, what is our go command? For you today, is God's go command something similar to the command that he gave to the rich young man? Do you remember this rich young man who came to Jesus? And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See a couple of key words there? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Just like Moses, right? He's got his eyes on himself. What can I do? And he, unlike Moses, he feels as though he's able to do something. Hey, what do you want me to do? I can do it. And Jesus says, well, why don't you go? Oh, let me just read it to you. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That sounds pretty familiar. That sounds just like the God that we've already encountered with Moses, right? A God who loves and has compassion and reaches out in relationship. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And then he says, one thing you lack. He said, go. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. So for you today, is God's go command to you similar to this? Do you just need to give up? Look at yourself and say, I can't do it. I cannot on my own inherit eternal life. Jesus, I need you to do this, to act on my behalf, to do what I'm unable to do. And you know what? He's already done that. He's already given himself on the cross as an atoning sacrifice to take the place of us and be punished and bring us into a right relationship with God. Is your go today to humble yourself before Jesus and accept the gift of salvation that he holds out to you? Or is your go a little bit more like in Matthew at the end, the command that God gives to all of us as his people? And what does he say there? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Again, it comes back to his authority, right, and power. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, his presence, to the very end of the age. This is God's command. Where do you need to go? Maybe you need to respond to this command, and maybe you need to go to your neighbor your coworker, maybe you need to go to a family member who's lost and you need to give them the good news of the gospel to respond to. It might be in bits and pieces, but to go and take that step of obedience that God is calling you to. Maybe you need to go even further. Maybe you need to go to the Ukraine. Maybe you need to go outside the borders of Canada or Alberta or Lacombe. Or maybe, maybe it's a little more personal even, even than that. God's go command might be something that you've been thinking about all during this service. Saying, you know, I know God's been telling me to do this, but I just can't. I don't have the ability. I can't do it. I'm not worthy. 
or I just don't want to do it. Somebody else can do it. What is it? Maybe you need to go to someone and ask forgiveness. Maybe there's a, a relationship that is broken and you need to reconcile that relationship. Whatever it is, something you need to let go of and let God take care of. What does that go that God is asking you about today? Where is he telling you to go? Is he telling you to go on your knees before Jesus and accept his salvation through his death and resurrection? Or, like Moses, do you need to go on your feet and go to someone who needs to, just like the Israelites, be brought out of bondage and slavery and give them the message of forgiveness and freedom in Jesus? Whatever it is, so now, go. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would give us whatever it takes today, whatever we need, Lord, to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes onto you. The God and creator of the universe the one who has all authority, who has promised to give us your presence, your power, Lord, to give us provision for everything we need, for your purpose to be accomplished even in and through us, and that is to give you glory, Lord, and I pray that you would give us your people, and we would, we would allow them to help us, to support us and encourage us. Lord God, whatever it is you're telling us to do, May we stop giving excuses and by looking at ourselves. And may we look at you and find no more excuses. In Jesus' name.